Good morning, Oak Mountain, and Happy New Year. It's such a blessing to be here this morning, worship with you all, and what a wonderful way to start off the new year. Thank you, Jason. Seeing uh, new members being welcomed and baptisms, seeing the Lord's work at hand to kick off the new year, it's a privilege and a blessing. <clears throat> My name is Keske Dota. I am a pastoral intern here at Oak Mountain and also a PMI missionary to Japan. Um, to give a little introduction myself for those of you that don't know me, I was born and raised in Japan um, and moved to the States for high school and for college at Covenant College. That's where I met my beautiful wife named Bethany. We've been married for almost seven years, and we have an almost two-year-old son named Yuma who keeps us busy, and uh, it's a blessing getting to see him grow up, and it's so much fun. So, growing up in Japan, it's actually the second most unreached people group in the world. There weren't many churches around, um, as you can imagine. So I remember when I was about three or four years old, uh, my parents were looking for a new church because we had moved from Tokyo to Chiba, which is more of a suburb of Tokyo City. And I remember my parents were on the phone calling different places. This is before internet and web churches have websites. And they were looking for a church and I'd pick up the phone and uh, a pastor on the other line would speak to, to my parents in broken Japanese. And it was a church uh, plant that was started by MTW missionaries. And so my parents decided, okay, we're going to check this place, place out. And we went there and it, the, the pastor there was actually yours truly, the mission pastor here at Oak Mountain, Tom Patton. And so... It's, it's crazy that I'm here now getting to serve with him. I've known him for almost my whole life, about three or four years old, and now I'm here getting to um, serve with him. So it's, coming, it's almost like coming full circle, thankful to God and for his provision. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 10. And as you guys are turning there, this morning I want to share with you my story as someone who has received, both, both received the service of the missionaries and being a missionary himself as we look at this passage together. And we'll do so by highlighting four points. So in the midst of hardship and hard place, we are called to trust in God's power by preaching and praying for the work of his spirit as he redeems and restores his people. So place, power, preach, and pray. Before we read, let me open us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can gather together as your people to worship you, to give you glory. We have your book open. I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what you have for us this morning through this passage. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So Ezekiel 37, I won't read the whole passage so you guys can stay seated. Instead, we'll be looking at different uh, sections or in, in, in order. So let's begin by reading verses 1 through 2 if you want to follow along with me. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 2. This is God's word. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold... There were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. So we'll stop here. Before we begin, let's talk about the context of this book and what the situation was over for God's people. 
So Ezekiel was a prophet sent by God to prophesy to the exiles of Judah. If you remember earlier in the Old Testament, the kingdom of Israel was split and then the north and the south. This is the southern kingdom of Judah. They have been carried away into captivity by the Babylonians. So these people are in despair thinking, where is God? Where is God, the Lord Yahweh of our fathers? He wasn't able to protect his own land. He allowed his own temple in Jerusalem to be defiled. And now he let his people go into exile. He just left us. And when is he going to come through for us? Even though we know their exile was the result of their continuous sinfulness and rebellion against God. So this valley that Ezekiel sees in his vision is referring to the circumstances of the Israelites. The valley is the exile, and the bones essentially are referring to the people of Israel. And these are the same people Ezekiel was called to prophesy to, that there's going to be a new king, a a restored land, and the good news of the Messiah, and how they're all going to be the heirs of the king. But yet his people are still suffering in exile, not knowing if and when anything will ever get better. So if you can imagine, this is a very hard place for them to take seriously these promises that Ezekiel is sharing them. And on the other hand, can you imagine what Ezekiel is thinking? Lord, why are you putting me in a place that seems impossible? And thanks be to God, we see as those who have the rest of the Bible, the rest of the story in our hands, that in fact the Lord even uses evil, in this case the Babylonians, for his good and for his sovereign plan as he restores and redeems his people. As I shared with you a few minutes ago, I was born and raised in Japan where less than 1% of 126 million people are Christians. And that percentage is including Roman Catholics, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witness, anything that has to do with Jesus. And so if we're talking Reformed, Evangelical, and even Presbyterian, the percentage would be quite a bit smaller than that. And also the second most unreached people group in the world. So as I reflected on my own life, I realized how blessed I was because I ended up being born with both my parents being Christians, which is extremely rare. I grew up in a church consisted of about 15 to 20 members, and so my family made up about 20% of the whole church. (laughs) Outside of the church and missionaries, I never met any Christians or, or even people that ever read the Bible or can differentiate between Christianity or another cult that existed in Japan. So for the missionaries in Japan and for the national pastors and people serving there, Japan was their valley of dry bones. Yet they were called by God to faithfully proclaim the gospel and to pray earnestly for people to be saved, even though they felt oftentimes like feeling like, am I cut out for this? Is God really working in this country? In fact, it is, it is very normal for missionaries to uh, been there over five plus years and not see anyone come to Christ or be baptized. I mean, can you imagine being a pastor or a missionary or be, even being someone sitting in the pew and not seeing anyone come to Christ for that long? And for the missionaries and the pastor to see, not see the fruit of your labor when you're putting countless hours of your day in ministry. And I share this because I grew up in this place and I was one of those dry bones myself. I didn't know Christ or anything that those missionaries were talking about. But one thing that I look back and notice is that these missionaries came back, kept coming back, kept being faithful to their call and sharing the gospel and kept praying for us even before they even landed in Japan. 
And so because of that, slowly but surely, God worked in our hearts. My parents were saved because of missionaries, and I was able to meet my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Lord used these missionaries to give us new life as believers during this time. And now in the city that I grew up in, there are now over six different churches just around the city that I was in, six different church services between four different church plants in the last 30 years. And I understand most of you uh, aren't or perhaps won't end up being missionary overseas where Christianity is a minority religion. But even though you live in Birmingham, Alabama, which is the Bible Belt, um, y'all live in Alabama. I'm trying to clarify something. You guys do live in a day, uh, live in a day and age where actually Christianity is starting to become more and more minority religion, even here in the states, where people think that Christians are bigots, Christians are homophobes, and Christians can be perceived as judgy hypocrites. As the world becomes more and more secularized, how are you going to respond when you're surrounded by ideas and beliefs that you stand against as a believer? So I want to ask you guys to consider and think about where are the valleys of dry bones can you see in your life that God has placed you in? Is it your workplace, your relationships with your family, your friends, your coworkers? And in these valleys, are you able to respond as someone who has been given new life in sharing the hope of Jesus Christ instead of perhaps blending in? And how are you going to respond when God feels so distant and you feel like he has stopped working in your community? Well, let's keep looking and see how Ezekiel responded. Look with me to verse 3. So Ezekiel sees this vision of the valley of dry bones, and the Lord asks him a question here in verse 3. It says, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And I want to stop here and take a moment and think about this question and Ezekiel's answer. Ezekiel is placed in this valley and full of dry bones and is asked, can they live? Logically and practically speaking, the answer would be a resounding no, right? It's not like he's seeing dead bodies who may have just died a few minutes ago and he can kind of go one by one and resuscitate them if he worked hard enough. No, but these are dry bones. They have been dead for a long time to get to that point. So I would think the answer would be something like, no, Lord, how are they supposed to come to life? Or why are you asking me this question? I have no power to bring them back to life. Do you guys ever feel like this? Like in a place where you think, God, how are these people ever going to change? How are they ever going to come to know you? I, I know I have. I have that. I think that a lot. Growing up in Japan, some of the people I love the most are non-believers. And they're the hardest people to continue to share my faith with because they know my issues. They have, some of them have been hurt by the church. And with that, it can be messy and awkward and hard. So that's one of the values for me where I'm like, I'm, I'm not the one to do this. I don't have what it takes. Is there a place like that for you? And in fact, I want you guys to be comforted if there is and encouraged because there are plenty of examples of people who felt this way in the Bible. Think about Moses. Remember in Exodus, Moses, he pleaded to the Lord that he is not the one to rescue the Israelites from the Egyptians. He tells God, I am not eloquent with words. Just send someone else. But the Lord mercifully replies and says to tell Moses, 
I will teach you the words and I will be with you. And I'll even give you Aaron, your brother, to be a spokesperson for you. Remember Jonah, he was called, but he decided to go against God's will. And we all know how he ended up. He was in the belly of a fish for three days and God still used him to, to reach the Ninevites, right? And then there are also people we don't expect to be God's instruments for gospel advancement. Think of Jesus and his disciples. These disciples that Jesus called were ordinary men, and some were even guys that you would never expect to be called by Jesus, like Matthew, the tax collector, or just fishermen. You think there are many Jewish teachers who knew the Old Testament, like the back of their hands, and you think that they were more suited to be Jesus' followers, right? And what about Paul? He was previously persecuting and killing Christians until he, God changed his life. There's a man named Tatsuya Shindo. From the age of 20, Shindo would smuggle drugs and stimulants all around Tokyo for a nationwide Yakuza group called Sumiyoshikai. Yakuza is a Japanese version of a mafia or a gang cartel member. It's very bad people. Um, but by the age of 20, he was the acting boss for one of the largest Yakuza organizations in Japan. He was arrested 15 times, he was convicted seven times, and he was in prison three times. And on his third imprisonment, when his own Yakuza group excommunicated him because his, his actions were getting way too out of hand, the Lord met him through a Bible that was given to him in prison. And he was released. When he was released, he vowed to live a different life. He vowed to follow God, and he went to some small seminary and studied there and became a pastor and is now preaching to those who are outcasts of society like former Yakuza's and former criminals in a small bar in downtown Tokyo. Praise God. And if you would have met me 10 years ago, you would have never thought I would be standing here. I would have never thought I would be, I would or could be a pastor. You can ask Tom all about <laughs> I felt so inadequate, I, and I still feel very inadequate. I felt like there's so many people who know the Bible better than I do, who are more gifted than I am, have the better prayer life, generous, loving, kind, whatever, you name it, right? But over time, through God opening doors and changing my heart, through different people affirming me and my wife to pursue ministry, going to seminary, and coming here, pursuing ordination, and being accepted to go back as missionaries to Japan, I can't help but see and be amazed in God's work in my life because I would have never chosen or been able to do this on my own. So we don't know why God chooses for some mysterious reasons, inadequate and broken and sinful people to be his vessels to share the good news, but he does. So we're going back to Ezekiel. We haven't forgotten about you, Ezekiel. He knew better. He knew better than to just say no. But his faith moved him to say, what did he say? He said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. He knew that if God wanted them to come alive, the dry bones to come alive, he can make it happen. And he also understood that there was no strength or power in Ezekiel himself that can make that happen other than see God do his work through him. So in situations when we are in doubt, when we question what we should do next, can we respond like a faith of Ezekiel? To trust that our God is a God who has the power to raise the dead to life. And if we believe that our God can raise the dead to life, he has the power to use any one of us for his glory. So the question is, not if he can or can't do it, but whether if it is his will to do so and how. 
And we see that the answer to that first question, yes, it is his will to use his people. In the second question, we see the answer, the how is in the next verse. And how does he do this? Through the preaching of the word of God. Let's keep going. Look with me at verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. So we see here that the answer to the how is by Ezekiel, prophesying and speaking to the bones that God will give them new life and put breath in them. So I want to point out two things in this section. First, when we hear prophesy, we may think, you know, predicting the future or it's an action that can only be done by Old Testament prophets. And in a sense, that is true. But to prophesy also can mean simply to communicate God's word, to preach the word of God. Second, breath here in the original language here can also mean spirit. And so we can interpret it as he will pour his spirit in them and make them come to life. And we can, we can interpret it that way because we also see the same phrase in the previous chapter, in chapter 36, verse 26 of Ezekiel, which is a key passage in the book. The Lord promises to give the Israelites a new heart and a new spirit. And so the word used for spirit here is the same word used for breath in our passage. We can find comfort and encouragement in this because we see clearly that it is not our work but the Holy Spirit's work and the Lord's work. And these two points are important because it is important for us to understand that it's both us preaching or communicating God's word and it is God's work through the Spirit he has given us that gives new life. And so if we take into this into factor, preaching is not just a calling for just pastors or missionaries but for all believers. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up all my life thinking it's just the pastors or the missionaries or the staff of the, pa- you know, whatever, whoever was working for the church's job to share the gospel. Mainly because I felt inadequate and don't have the training or whatever it may be. And I felt like I also had issues and doubts still. So I, who am I to share the gospel, right? That's kind of what's running through my mind. But as, I, as God had been working through my heart and being able to see passages like these, you see all over the Bible that all of us are called to proclaim the good news. All of us who are Christians who have received the spirit of the prophecy. As we see in the scriptures, it is evident that he does because Paul, remember in Romans ten fourteen, he says, and how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So it is crucial that we as followers of Jesus Christ obey our call to share the gospel to our friends to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to the ends of the earth. Now, missionaries preaching to non-believers or Christians believing, or preaching to non-believers in general are important, but preaching the gospel to other believers is just as important. I mean, if you think about the letters in the New Testament, right, the authors are encouraging and exhorting and challenging who? The church. 
they're preaching to the church and the people, the Christians there, the gospel, knowing and having had a relationship with them because they understand their issues at hand. And they are telling them to do the same to the whole body, the rest of the congregation. One of the most impactful um, experiences for me spiritually was happened at Covenant College through some of my roommates. You know, college was a rich time. I met my wife there, and in the beginning, though, it was kind of rough because I came right after I went to a secular community college, very skeptical heart, was very distant from God, and it was a small Christian private college, so when we have hall events with, you know, as a guy hall and a girl hall, you'll have moments, and they'll be like, who wants to pray? And I'll see all these guys being like, oh, me, 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 I'll pray, I'll pray, I'll pray. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you only do that when the girls' halls are around. I think you're just trying to, you know, show off to the girls or pretend like you're more holy. Um, and I, I was just a jerk, but anyways. That was kind of my, my mindset and my, my, you know, heart at the time. But I met these roommates of mine, and they were kind of in the same group. They loved to pray, and they loved to share and talk about their faith. <clears throat> and I, would, I remember uh, seeing one of my roommates every night. I would get back from whatever I was doing, and I'll see him at his desk, either praying or worshiping, uh, singing worship songs or reading the Bible. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you're by yourself. Why are you doing this? <laughs> and then I realized, more the days the time went on, this guy is truly desiring to pursue a relationship with God. And that's what was at the base, uh, on the foundation of where he felt so comfortable in preaching or sharing his faith and praying to other people around him. And I wanted that. I, I felt like I had never seen that before. And so the Lord used my roommate through um, his life, really, his actions, and sharing his faith to me that it wasn't what I do or what I um, bring to God to, to gain salvation, but it was actually a faith, a relationship with God that saved, saves us. You know, as Ephesians talks about, it's by, uh, safe, we're saved through faith, not by works, but it's a gift of God, right? I grew up in a work-based salvation, and so that was on my mind, and I clearly did not understand the gospel, but God used my roommates to breathe life into me and to make himself known to me. And we can never know how God will use us. My roommates struggled just like all of us do with doubt, but they kept going back to God and kept preaching and sharing the gospel and praying. And that is what God calls all of us as believers to do, and that is what brings change. And believing that our God is a God who can do the impossible, he can raise the dead and dry bones come alive. And he uses us and our words and our actions to bring change into people's lives. And it may be uncomfortable. It may take a long time to see change. But our call stays the same. And we are called to be faithful and trust in his work and not ours. Which leads to the final point, which is probably the most important and something that we might find it easy to not prioritize as much. Uh, I, I can say something for myself, which is prayer. Look with me to verse 9. It says this, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what Sovereign Lord says, Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. So when Ezekiel prophesied to the bones, the bones came together, their tendons and sinews were attached, the flesh came upon them, and they got skin. But remember, it says they had no breath. 
It was only a partial restoration. And they look closer looking like, to looking like people, but they're still corpses. So what does God tell Ezekiel to do next? He says, prophesy to the breath, or remember, the spirit, and appeal to it to come and breathe life into the corpses. So prophesy to the breath or, or, or the spirit it essentially is the same thing as prayer. Pray to the spirit that it will give life to the dead. To breathe into the man's nostrils the breath of life the same way in Genesis when God created mankind. So why is this two-faced restoration significant? Well, because now this time the restoration was in full effect. And verse 10, it says, I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And I love this quote from a commentator on Ezekiel. He says, what preaching by itself failed to achieve, prayer made it a reality. It shows that the work is in God's hands and not ours. And it's significant because so many times we can often focus and think, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, share my faith. How can I get better at preaching the gospel? And we can begin to think and focus on our own strength and our own skills and hone in on that instead of depending on and trusting in the Lord's power. Or, on the other hand, we can focus on how we are not good enough because we don't know as much of the Bible as some others, or we're not as good speakers, we're not gifted, whatever it may be, and not trust that God can actually work through anyone if he wishes. So we are reminded here, again, it is the work of the Spirit through prayer, and that is the reason why the corpses came alive. My senior year in high school, I, I gave God an ultimatum, which is a really bad decision. But I, I remember praying this prayer. I said, God, if you're real, you will reveal yourself to me at this youth camp. So at, at the age of 18, I decided, you know what? I don't know what this Christianity is about. I'm only going to church because my parents wanted me to go. So I decided, you know, if God doesn't reveal himself, I'm going to be... I'm going to be done with Christianity. So I told my camp counselor and my roommates there and all this stuff, and, you know, I've kind of breezed through the first few days of doing fun stuff. And one of the you know, second to the last day, I, I remember I was sitting in the session during the worship, and I was praying to God the same prayer. And I rarely ever prayed, seriously, up until that point. And I prayed, God, if you are real, please reveal yourself to me. And I felt this presence and comfort and joy and peace I've never felt before in my life and heard in the back of my head saying, Keske, I have always been here, but you never searched me. <clears throat> and I share this with you guys because it's not just this emotional high moment, but afterwards, I tell my camp counselor this story who had, you know, been living with me, and I was just like, whatever, you know, this isn't real. And I told him what just happened, and I was kind of sobbing. And, and he starts, like, weeping. <laughs> this, like, six-foot-four, macho, like, athletic dude, camp counselor. And I'm just like, okay, this is kind of awkward. Why are you crying in front of me? And we were both, like, crying. And he said, Keske, I have been praying for you that whole time during the session that God will reveal himself to you. And so at that moment, I believe there's definitely a God. I believe that God will never let me go. And it emphasized the work and the power of the Spirit um, through prayer.
Yes, we are all called to share the gospel and share our faith, but what is also crucial is praying to our Lord and Savior for him to do his work. And I can admit myself, I often forget and rely on my own strength and ministry and my own skills or my own gifts rather than going to him in prayer first as much as I should. And to believe that God is the one who can change people's hearts and that he really hears our prayer. And our God is a God who has shown his grace and he provided a way to talk to him and he delights in it. I don't have to go kill a lamb and give it to a priest for him to hear me anymore. I don't, I don't have to go to the, the most famous shrine in Tokyo and throw a bunch of change in there just so that I can cling to a hope that God might hear my prayer. I can talk to him right here, right now, on the way to work, on the way home from work, in the shower, in the bed, wherever. And he hears us. And the scripture talks about how Jesus, remember he says in Matthew 7, which one of you, if the son asks for him for bread, will give him a stone? Or ask for a fish, give him a serpent. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So I encourage and exhort you guys to keep praying. And keep praying for those you may know that don't know Christ. Pray when you are in doubt and you are struggling, trusting that he is a good God when you're going through a tough time. And I don't want to say that because you pray, everything's going to go amazing. I'm not saying that, It may not be the answer we want or in the time that we want, but we must trust that he works all things for the good of those who love Some of you may be fired up to share the gospel overseas. Uh, If you you guys want to come to Japan, I'm right here. Please um, come talk to me. Taking applications. Um, But if you feel like that's your gift, keep doing it. And don't forget to pray and not depend on your strength and gifts. So you don't become self-righteous or fall into despair when you don't see any fruit. Or others of you may feel distant from God and at a place where you don't remember when the last time you sat down and prayed longer than two seconds or just before meals. I still encourage you to pray and be honest with him. And I hope that you can be encouraged and the Lord will continue to work in your hearts as God reveals to us that he uses his people to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But it is his work, and we can find comfort in that. So in the midst of hardship or a hard place, we are called to trust in his power by preaching and praying for the work of his spirit as he redeems and restores his people back to him. Let's pray. Sovereign Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that we can come to you in prayer. We give you thanks that you have given us the spirit, Jesus, and that you love us and you delight in us coming to you. Thank you for the body of Christ that we can gather here this morning. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Keske. Let me invite you to stand and receive uh, God's good word, his benediction, his blessing on you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne of grace, With exceeding great joy to the only wise God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be glory and honor, majesty and dominion, now and forevermore.